This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here in studio with uh, Representative Jenny Armstrong. How you doing? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? We were joking earlier when we did the sound check. I said, you have the ASMR voice. I know. Now I feel a lot of pressure to like keep my voice however it was in the sound check. You, you could go on <laughs> YouTube and start a channel and probably... Some of those people make a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it's great. You got to get it how you can. <laughs> so for the folks listening, you, first time rep, you're one of the 17 freshman caucus mm-hmm. in the house. Yeah. Um, you ran for an open seat. Because yep. it was the seat where Sarah Rasmussen and Matt Clayman were redistricted. Yep. And then Sarah didn't run, and then Clayman ran for the Senate. Yep. And you kind of got in late, so what, like, why'd you decide to, it yeah. was like, I think the day before, like, right, right before the deadline, right, the June A year June ago 1. today, I hadn't even filed yet to run, and I feel like I've lived so many lifetimes in the past year. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm just yeah. thinking about a year but ago. But I ran against a former House rep, so... I, I was running against someone who had kind of been around for a long time, and I sort of came out of nowhere. So. Liz, yeah, she was a one-time rep, and then she was years and years ago on the Chugach uh, mm-hmm. board, electric yep. board. But she she keeps she's always running and totally. running for assembly and things. But yeah. so, I mean, why did you decide to? I know you talked about you have kind of a young young child, and yeah, you were talking about a lot of these issues. Yeah. So last May, two things happened at once, which is that the formula shortage was happening and my son was 11 months at the time. So he was on his like last stretch of formula. And then the Supreme Court um, draft leaked saying that we were going to overturn Roe. Can I curse on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Say whatever the fuck you want. I was so fucking pissed because I those two things coinciding, I just felt so strongly that we couldn't even care for the children that we have now. And then we're going to make it that much harder. And when you do things like overturn abortion, what you're really doing is overturning it for the for the people who are the most vulnerable and the lowest income, right? Because if if a if a, a wealthy Republican, or I shouldn't say that, if, if a wealthy person gets someone pregnant, like they're whoever, if somebody gets pregnant and they have the means, they will be able to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. And so um, I felt very motivated by that. And it was it was within a few days of these things happening that I got asked to run. And so I think if that hadn't happened, it would have been an easy no. I swear I would never run for office. I would never be a politician. Did you kind of know what you were, we'll talk about the session here, but all the stuff that, a lot lot of stuff went down this year. Yeah, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I mean, as we were saying before we started recording, I barely knew who my rep was. I had just found out that Matt Clayman was my rep like a few months before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd always followed politics closely, read the ADN every day, you know, on AK Twitter. But I just uh, had no idea what was what, what was laying. Well, and I was me. telling you, I've run for office before, and, and you, you start to realize when you really talk to people, and knock on doors, you know, the vast majority of people are you know working, have a job, have a family. They aren't plugged into this stuff. Yep. A lot of people in Juneau, especially in the Capitol, they're in this bubble where they think this is like the world. But but most people don't know who their rep is or who their senator is. They don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I, was, I was telling you earlier, I was at Captain Cook once with some people years ago kind of talking about 
some political stuff in the state and just, and they were saying, why can't people, you know, and they were getting really angry about it. And I was trying to explain to them that people aren't that, you know, so I, there's a table next to us and I said, how long have you guys lived here? And they said, I don't know, 20 years. And I started asking them questions. They didn't know who the governor was. They didn't, I mean, they didn't know this stuff that to these people would, it's like something a, a baby should know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then I tried to explain like people aren't, I mean, people want a job. They want to raise a family. They want to go on vacation. They don't want to have to worry about what's happening in Juneau. Yeah, I think that's kind of the power of having so many freshmen, too, because a lot of us were just those folks. I mean, I think all of the freshmen were in some way politically engaged, including myself. But you really when you're not in that bubble and you're totally new, you you know that your neighbors don't really know what's going on. And so for me, I always kept that so type of top of mind and it made mm-hmm. it easier on the bad days or when it seems like something crazy is happening. I'm like literally 20 people are paying attention to this. <laughs> I mean, even, you, <laughs> you know, know, when when, when it got the budget happened and you guys had the there was a $175 million increase, which, which mm-hmm. everybody, I think it was 39 to one. Yeah. And then the house majority later, uh, changed the fund source to the C- to the constitutional budget reserve, which requires more votes to get Yeah, because they wanted to get that vote for, for the, basically to balance, to take the savings to balance the budget. And then it got kind of crazy and you guys all kind of walked out of the, left the building and I wrote about it and it was kind of a crazy, but even then it's like, you're right. I mean, it's crazy in Juno and to the people who watch the stuff, it's kind of crazy, mm-hmm. but to the, average person they don't even know what happened yeah totally I think that's important like I kept that really top of mind in terms of press and social media and newsletter and how I communicated I just assumed every time I was doing anything that I was starting from the beginning in terms of awareness of the issue um yeah that's smart I mean that's what I try to do with with my stuff I try to you know inform people but keep it understand that it's like you know if somebody was trying to explain nuclear physics to me (laughs) they need to they need to keep it like real high level (laughs) I have a rocket science for babies book that I can let you borrow. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll, I'll read it. <laughs> so, okay, so you you ran and then you won. Yep. Um, and then there was this organizational thing mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. And were you kind of aware of, I mean, I guess you must know that you have to have a majority, but yeah, uh, there were so many new people on Republicans, Republicans and Democrats, independents, that um, last four years we saw where the House took a month, you know, each time to organize. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all 40 people in the house are aware and involved in the organizing process at some point starting from the day after, you know, the election happens. And so a lot of that is, you know, caucus, uh, caucus secrets of how things unfold. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it was crazy. And I really didn't know. And I'm speaking for me, other people may have seen the 40 chest and knew how things were going to play out. But I really didn't know how it was going to play out until it basically did. I don't think I mean, I watch this stuff very closely. And I didn't there was 19, you know, kind of 19 Democrats, independents in this kind of caucus, mm-hmm. um, bipartisan deal. Yeah. And there was 21 Republican, you know, but like Louise Stutes has been, she's in your minority right now, yep. actually. And David Eastman's always kind of unpredictable. And, yeah. and then you had the Bush people. So, uh, you're right. I mean, nobody knew. Yeah. It, 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 actually, I wrote about how it, it came together the night before there was a meeting yeah. with, with Edgman, Pocketock and Foster. Yeah. And they went over with the Republicans and, you know, Pocketock kind of was going to do it and, they cut the deal, but, um, I, no, they didn't, I think most people even in the minority and some of the majority members did, didn't even know the full extent of it until that day when they, mm-hmm. and it was the first day after session started. So it didn't, it wasn't like a month like in the past. Yeah. No, it happened really fast. Now there was a deal where I, I got a tip if it was in like November or something. There was this, um, training or kind of. Oh, our orientation. Orientation. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of people went to the Matsu Brewing <laughs> Company and. Now, tell me about this. Was this like a, 
An exercise? Because I know there was an exercise of the freshmen saying, well, why don't we just put something together bipartisan? Yeah. Yeah. So I was at the orientation, but I did not go out for drinks after. Um, and I think that it was a really powerful orientation. We did this exercise called the Constellation Exercise, and they would bring up, the guy would like say an issue, like, should should it be required law to wear a bike helmet? And these get interesting. They turn into like interesting philosophical discussions. And so- The libertarians, he, I bet Jesse Sumner said no way. No way. Because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't even want to wear seatbelts. Like yeah, yeah, seat yeah. Belts. And so it was really interesting because you're on like a spectrum, right? Like from one end to the other and everyone's lined up on a wall. And so it's not just left or right, like, and it was really interesting to see how many of us were constantly grouped together. And it was it was just such a visceral way to see we have so much more in common than we even probably realized based on what we knew about each other from our campaigns. Because at least for me, I hadn't met, I don't think, anybody. Um, so, 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 so they were afterwards at the uh, Matsu Brewing Company. Yeah. And then there, this became this exercise of mm-hmm. what if we did a majority? Yeah. And what if we got Craig Johnson and a few other people? And then they... Andrew Gray, they had had like a little, <laughs> yeah. a little uh, chart they worked out, yep. like an org chart, and yeah. it was Sarah Hannon as majority leader, and I, I don't to this day I don't know why he has fucking Sarah Vance's phone number, I but know. he texted that's a good question Sarah Vance saying hey do you want to be in our group we have a thing going we're, we're pitching this idea and she goes she goes where would I be and he goes majority leader and she goes this is Sarah Vance. <laughs> and I wasn't there but I yeah, heard he turned yeah, like yeah. almost like a pale yeah he called me right away. Um, it, from the bar and I could hear them all drinking and I, and he was like, but here's the thing. I accidentally sent it to Sarah Vance and I was like, Andrew, you just lit a match. <laughs> well, like, well, and, and later I thought maybe this was some Machiavellian power move because, cause what happened? So I heard about it and then I got, you know, I basically got figured out what happened and I wrote an article and kind of the joke was, um, Somebody told me that they're never going to let all the fucking freshmen be in one room at the same time <laughs> before session. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, yeah, I think we, I think that the freshmen are powerful. I think, I think we're 15 people technically is like the core group and we meet very regularly. We Somebody, I heard Jamie Allard only came to one meeting or something. I don't, um, she went to one before, before we organized or a couple. Yeah. We, we met several times um, before. There was that one started. picture where I don't know whose house it was, but I was Stan- at Elisa's house. Stanley Wright, yeah. Stanley Wright was kind of laying down, looking all relaxed, and I was like, yeah. my, "My man." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we met several times um, in December, and then early January before we organized, and then we've met regularly all session long. <clears throat> so I wonder if the, you know, like leadership in the majority or even the minority, like I wonder if they were, were they kind of like, "Hey, what do you?" Because in the past it was normal to talk to everybody, but now yeah. it's just like kind of almost like a, you know, a sin to be seen with somebody from the other side. I've heard rumors about what people think about the freshman caucus, but I think the thing that's so dope about the freshman caucus is we're not really concerned with that. Um, and I was telling someone yesterday what I love about our group, and it's brought about a lot of collaborations, like me supporting Julie Colomb on childcare, and we have you know some stuff I've pitched her that we're going to collaborate on um, in the interim. It's we, We're not focused on that. Like We all got elected because we were a much younger generation, and we were so tired of the way things were done before. So I think that that's where a lot of our power is, is that, I mean, at least I can say I'm not concerned. I'm, I want to do what's best and going to get the best outcomes for mm-hmm. Alaska. So there's, like you mentioned, younger people. So there's you and there's like Jesse Sumner and Will Stapp and mm-hmm. uh, Stanley. And, you know, and some yeah. of the, a lot of them have kids. Yeah. Young, you have a young ki- kid. Uh, Stan, Stanley has kids. Jesse has kids. Will has kids. So it's a lot different than in the past where you had a few people, you know, younger folks that had kids. But it was a lot of them were old. You know, the turnover's always been, there's been turnover, but it's not, not, not been nothing like this year. Yeah. And for I a think long time. It's amazing. Like I'm the only mom with a baby or a toddler. 
And then I think Jesse and Will have the youngest kids. Like they're the dads with the youngest kids for sure. And that was really important. I think that you and see. Justin too has young kids. Justin they're they're too, younger, sorry. but they're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. that young. But like I'm talking babies, like preschool. And that's where things like the childcare issue and these other things come up. And so um, I think it's great having younger people. And we wrote an op-ed when we were running. I think it was me, Lukey, Genevieve, Andrew, can't remember who else. And it was just that we need, when we talk about diversity in the legislature, it's a diversity of lived experiences. Like we don't want a homogenous legislature. And I think traditionally, and it had always been people who were retired and it was more of a hobby. And I think that when you're younger and you're still in your career and you have a family, you're so much more focused because there's so much more on the line. Like I know for me, every day I was in session and I was away from Jack, I was like, I need to make the most of every day. Mm-hmm. So you just approach the well, it's both. I mean, it's it's ostensibly a citizen legislature. Yeah. And, and over the years, I've always said this does not reflect the citizenry. I mean, yeah, a lot totally. of lawyers, oftentimes retired, yeah, retired deep, people gas. with maybe a, a work for a company or a business that allows them to do that because it's maybe it's like you know nice to have you know people oil and gas over the years, labor mm-hmm. unions. Yeah. Um, but and we can talk about the pay now too. I've always advocated for a long time for higher pay for. Yeah. I think we should pay legislators one hundred and fifty thousand, maybe no per diem, but yeah, really because. I've over the years talked to friends uh, of mine, people that I know that would, I think, make great legislators who, who would even maybe want to do it. But then when I say, hey, you shouldn't run, they just say, are you fucking crazy? I've got kids. I've got a job. I've got a business, whatever. There's no way I'm going to go to Juno for four or five or six months, have to, like, lose my job or take time off and not make that money and then have to deal with all the Juno bullshit. Yeah. It's really, so now the pay is going up. There was, I reported, it was pretty widely reported there was this compensation commission that the mm-hmm. process kind of st- st- stank. Yeah, totally. I mean, they Dunleavy dismissed, summarily dismissed the whole commission and then put up with these like yeah. stoo- stoolies on board <laughs> and they had a, a 15 minute Soviet style meeting where everything was unanimous. Terrible process. Terrible, terrible public process. But the result is that pay will go up to, I think, 84,000. Something like that. Yeah. With yeah, some per diem too. So there really needs to be a reform. Like I voted. I can't remember how the vote even worked out. I voted against the raise, not because I didn't think that there needed to be a raise, but because I could not stand behind the process and the way that it happened. And there's a lot of people who talk about an attack per diem, and I get that. But there's a lot of folks there on a spectrum. And my dream is that a a single parent would be able to run for office and not have to balance a bunch of other jobs or or anything like that because it's so hard. The only people who can run are those who are privileged. And to your point, that is not reflective. Well, well, if if it was, in fact, a 90-day session... And that was how it was. I think more people would probably run. I but filed the ninety-day session bill this year. But it's not. Ni- I mean, it's not ninety. It's, it's supposed to be ninety. I think the last time yeah. it was ninety. Well, in, during COVID, it was like less than seventy days. Well, look at the special sessions and stuff too. It makes it so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I basically took another maternity leave. I didn't take salary from my company, but we were able to work it out financially. Closer to the mic there. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, and it's just. It's something that is tough for for everybody in some way. But I think that it it should be more on a spectrum. Like, you get what you need. So you have someone like Justin Refuge's family. He has kids, dogs. He's running a whole house. And then you have, you know, some older legislators who are bunking up and their roommates and they're paying, you know, dirt cheap rent. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's really a spectrum. And so if you just cut per diem, you're cutting the ability for families to be able to move and, and make this workable. And so I oh, just no, think I'm, it I'm, needs to be on a spectrum. Like, you should just get reimbursed for whatever it costs to live reasonably in Juneau. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this has been a top topic over the years. And, and as, as bad as the process was, and it was a bad process, uh, it, 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 at least it did, you know, it, it did happen, you know, yeah. right or wrong. Um, because the pay has been 50000 since, I mean, it used to be like 24000 And then Crazy. you have to like turn in 
kind of receipts or, mm-hmm. or time cards if you worked in the interim, and it was a big pain in the ass. Like, could you imagine having yeah. to turn it? Like, it's a give. I've, I've had jobs in the past where you have to do like, you know, time time cards, and I didn't. I wasn't billable, but I was yeah. doing sales, so I had to like explain kind of what. I, and I'd, I'd always do it the last minute, like on before paper. Yeah. Like, oh fuck! And I got to like spend like half a day. Where was I at two weeks ago on Monday at four to sit? Okay. Yeah. And it's not feasible with the way that we work. Like I'll have constituents text me and call me out of the blue, social media. Like you're just, you can't track all of those things minute by minute. You're basically always on. I mean, also you got to think about there's 60 people who are in charge of billions of dollars. Yeah. And I've always kind of joked, like if you pick 60 people at random, you, you, it's kind of a joke, but you might get a better group of, because some of the stuff that happens, it's, I mean, my, my impression, I've been there five years now. It is like a high school. Mm-hmm. You have clicks. You have kind of the cool kids, kind of the nerdy kids. You have the jocks. You There's have school bells that ring. Yes, the bells <laughs> ring. You and yeah. it's just kind of a clicky, and you have these little groups, and then mm-hmm. and then somebody says something, and they get mad, and it's like a rumor, and then it, it's kind of like a high school. Yeah, yeah. I gave Valentines to all sixty, well, other fifty nine legislators. Oh, I, rem- I remember that. Yeah, and it had like a note like this place feels like middle school, and I like gave middle school style Valentines to everybody. <laughs> I remember that. That was like a big that was some chatter. Oh, fun. Did that. Yeah, people were excited. <laughs> so what was your, so you get down there. Yeah. And did you have a place picked out or did you like in advance find a place to yeah, stay? Or? Yeah, I'm, I live with my landlord and it's just, it worked out really great for me downtown. Yeah, so I, I, I stay, I stay, well, I'm, I'm not staying there anymore. I'm actually writing a story as you walked in, I'm finishing my story on the Driftwood and how the oh, new management yeah. has just destroyed. Have you heard some of the stories? I've heard, it's of insane. How, what they've, how they've treated all I legislators, know. staff, me, people have been staying there Five, 10, 15 years, Tom Wright got kicked out. Oh my God. You know, and people had it just was a, always a great place. And this new p- company bought it, Clinkett Height of this tribe. And yeah. they've just, they've totally screwed up a lot of people. So I'm not right. going to be staying there. I got to find a new place to stay. Oh, that's tough. What, what I really want to do is I need to, you know, rob a bank or something because I want to buy a place in Juneau, but they're so expensive. <laughs> yeah, gosh. Oh my gosh. Housing is so expensive right now in general. It's just impossible. I was looking online because just, seeing what's available and there's yeah. very few houses for sale in Anchorage and the ones that are for sale, they go, you know, they go on the market and they're gone in like a day. Yeah. Two houses in my neighborhood went up for sale and then immediately had the sale pending thing put on it. I was like, wow, it's a good time to sell. You think with the rates, it would cool, cool off a little bit, but it, it, it hasn't. Yeah. And I mean, this is, I think you're aware, I'm sure you're aware that we've lost people for 10 years and yeah. people aren't moving here. We're not doing, we're not building anything. Mm-hmm. You know, we're fighting over the dividend mostly. Yep. It's exhausting. And, and, you know, we, we used to, you know, back in the seventies, there was a parks highway, there was the pipe pipeline, there was yeah. these things we did. Yeah. Now people, I, mean, I think we could attract so many people here, uh, tech, tech people, finance people from the East Co- the West coast yeah. who, who want to be close to this place, beautiful, the outdoors, there's camping and there's hiking and there's kayaking and there's skiing, but it's just hard to move here. Yeah, I don't think it has to be that way. And I think that one of my big goals, I was a remote worker and a nomad for a long time. And so I was just very familiar with Location independent. Location independent is the cool kids say now. And um, I, one of my first things I was like, how do we do that here? I was like, we need to attract more remote workers and get more young families moving here. There needs to be energy we need to be building. Like there needs to be more things opening than shutting. Mm -hmm. This is the most magical place in the world to live. Like why aren't people knocking down our door trying to come here? Um, And I think we know how to do that. And I think that's the part that's infuriating. Even when you're in the legislature, you're like, if you just gave me a magic wand, (laughs) I could just do a handful of things that I think would make a huge difference in investing money in different ways. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's not rocket science, but it's just a matter of getting people to agree. 
And there's so many little petty things that we yep. fight over. Yeah. That, that distracts from other things, the, the bigger things happening. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about the childcare thing. It was originally 15 million and then it got cut to 7.5 million. This is the amendment for the. Yeah, for the additional child care funding. And the reason that they did that is because it felt like too much of a win for the minority. So that's, to me, what drives me insane because that's a loss for all of Alaska. We're talking about trying to increase wages for child care workers who have one of the most important jobs and are paid like $13 an hour. Mm-hmm. We have such a shortage because they can go work at Target, Starbucks, get benefits. And so that is infuriating to me. Like that that's a sidebar, but the pettiness drives me crazy. And you're well, even so for, right. For teachers, you know, I, I've always said... Um, we spend a lot of money in education, and, and I think there's reasons to, to be concerned about where it's going. But I've always said we should pay teachers a lot of money. Teachers should yeah. make 80000 100000 yeah. Because my neighbor, he, they just moved, but he was a teacher for years in the ASD. And he got frustrated with a lot of things, COVID especially, but it just, it just became kind of overwhelming. And he left. Yeah. And he went to Solid Way Services, and he's making more money. Yeah, it's crazy. That's fucking nuts. It shouldn't be that way. I mean, it's so backwards how we think about where funding and money goes. And the conversation around it are frustrating too, right? Like crime is, I think crime is either flat or going up depending on how you look at it or the type of crime in Alaska. But we never talk about accountability and public safety, but we always talk about accountability with teachers. And then mm-hmm. with teachers, how are teachers supposed to be accountable when we can't even, um, you know, cover SNAP benefits and you have children who are going to school starving or we don't have proper childcare in early education and you have kids who are so far behind and coming in so far behind and not entering kindergarten at the level that they should be at. How is a teacher responsible for that? Highest rates of abuse and neglect. Like we, we have a job to take care of everybody from the beginning, you know? And so I just think that there's a lot of like twisted perspectives on how we view things and how we fund it. Well, there's all these, you know, predictors on kids. And if if you aren't at a certain level of reading by third grade, I mean, it, it affects your whole life. First three income, years affect your, everything. Your, your inc- ability to earn money. Your everything. Go to college, have a job. All these different things um, are, are predicted by how, how well you can read at the, you know, by yeah. the age of 10. And ditto, what happens in the first thousand days of your life determines the rest of your life. Like it is where all the neural connections, everything about how you view the world is, is, is cooked by the time you're essentially three. And so if you don't have... You know, if you're being abused, neglected, you're not getting access to even just good care, social interaction, the basic things that we need. Um, it's really hard to overcome. I've, that. I've talked to friends over the years that are teachers and some of these kind of um, it, it's not even lower. I mean, it's not like lower, super lower income areas. It's just areas in Midtown. Yeah. One of them is Taco Elementary by where I live. And she said, you know, she'd always have to bring some extra jackets and gloves with yeah. her because some of the kids would come to school not properly dressed. Yeah. Yeah, Which it's is like, really sad. it's just, you know, we live in this great country. We live in the most advanced, the best country, you know, and the we're, we're living so good now compared to people 50 years ago. I mean, even, yeah. you know, hundreds, but even 50 years ago. But we have people that, kids who don't have proper, you know, gear to go out and outside in the winter or who aren't eating enough. I mean, it's just, it's nuts to me. We, we, we shouldn't, that should never be a problem. It should not happen. It, it should absolutely not exist. And it keeps me up at night so much. Yeah. Okay, so you get down to session, you yeah. have a place to stay. Um, they organized on the first day. You guys became part of the minority. Yeah. And then it just kind of got into the routine of, you know, hearings. And I think yeah. you were on labor and com. Were you on labor and commerce? Um, and state affairs, resources, and tribal affairs. Oh, state affairs. Yeah. And yeah. Resources. Okay. resources was so fun. Yeah. And then I also had a lot of legislation I was working on and still working on now. Tom McKay had a, lot of, a couple of gaffes during. A couple, yeah. <laughs> Kakfa. Were you there for that? <laughs> yes, yes. Kakfa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just became the routine of, you know, meetings and, mm-hmm. you know, going yeah. I mean, going home sometimes, talking to the constituents. Yeah, did a lot of constituent meetings. 
And then you filed a bill. Um, we'll talk about this. I guess the attorney general, there was some decision at some point about kind of LGBT folks and, yeah. and some, maybe explain what happened with yeah, the totally. attorney general and, and this bill you, I think it was HB 99, right? Yeah. So we have the human rights commission and that's where you refer issues of like discrimination to if you face any discrimination. Jamie Howard used to be on that. Did you know that? I did not know that. She had to resign. Wow. She, um, there was a, I think it was over the, there was a license plate somebody had that said Fuhrer. Oh, I do remember that. I do remember that, but I didn't know. She commented like, it, 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 "It's not a bad word. It just means leader." <laughs> and we were like, everybody's like, "Um, okay." Anyway, oh, she no. got like asked to step down. I remember the license plate thing. I didn't know that she was a commissioner and had to step down. Yeah. So um, there was a Bostock case in 2020, um, and conservative Justice Neil Gorsuch said that discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity is inherently discrimination based on sex. The word sex is in the Human Rights Commission um, statute. And so after this Bostock case, um, we have five issue area or subject areas that the Human Rights Commission covers. And uh, it was the Department of Law or the Human Rights Commission that said, Dope. We now cover LGBTQ issues. And for about a year and nine months, we accepted those cases. And then last August, all I know is that Treg Taylor said the Bostock case was limited to employment. So we should only limit to employment and stop accepting cases for these other four so issue areas. Or the other things like, like housing? Or? It's housing, employment, public accommodation, government services, and lending. Mm -hmm. So those are the five areas. Um, so... Yeah. So last August, we suddenly we went back to legalizing discrimination against queer people. Um, and then so we, he just came, I mean, how'd that get? I forget how that it was an email. They just sent an email and said and some, somehow it became public at some point. Somebody found it or. Yeah, because the Human Rights Commission just put out a tweet to their like 20 people on Twitter and it was like very subtle. And I think ProPublica picked it up and did a big story. Um, and it, it was just, it, it was a coincidence that w you can see our bill on basis that the draft happened in February, way before the story broke. And so Tristan and I, my chief of staff knew that we were going to file a bill before oh, Tristan Walsh, he's, he's great by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Tristan, I have the best staff. I know everyone says yeah. that, but I love my staff. I've, so I've known much. him for a long time. He's awesome. Yeah. So, um, we always knew we were going to work on this bill and file that. And so we started working on it day one in session and it just so happened that we had it ready to drop when the ProPublica story came out. And so it ended up being a much bigger issue than I ever imagined. I wanted HB 99 to be very quiet. I didn't want it to get a lot of attention because I wanted to make it easier for my Republican colleagues to be able to support it, right? Um, the more attention something gets, the more eyes are on it and the more shit you'll get in your inbox. So mm -hmm. so it become, became kind of a thing. It became a big thing. <laughs> and then you had uh, a labor and commerce hearing and Yep, moved it, it out of there. It got out of labor and commerce, and then did it go somewhere? Did it go? Yep, before and then judicial? I moved it out of community and regional affairs. Right, so the, so it's, so and usually minority bills typically will give maybe more committee referrals than if it's a majority bill. Yeah, if I it's got a bill three. the if it's a bill the majority wants, it might get one. Right. Yeah, I got or three. two, but you got three. So then it got out of community regional affairs, labor and commerce, and it goes to judiciary. Yep. Where in many cases in this session, bills go to die. Actually, one of the, I'm not going to say who, but one of the majority members was talking to me during session and they, and they were like saying, you know, I was worried, I was wondering about these bills and this bill and that bill. And they listed like four bills and he goes, yeah, they're all in fucking judiciary. And he's a, he's a majority <laughs> member. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's been a lot of frustration among a lot of people. So that's Sarah Vance's committee. Yeah. And I don't even think it had a hearing, did it? No, she would not give it a hearing this session. 
So, and then you had a bunch of LGBT folks come into Juno a few, I guess, three yeah, weeks ago or yeah. something. We did a few things. I got to do a dope video with Portugal the Man, and that was really cool. And there was a rally, and then we planned a big fly-in. It's something we had been thinking about all session long. But that also came out because, you know, simultaneously there was HB 105, which was the... Governor's... Yeah, um, the anti-trans bill. Um, and... We, you know, Andrew, Representative Andrew Gray and I had met with the governor and, you know, his questions were like, is there even discrimination happening in our state? And so he wanted to meet people who had experienced. So we brought several gay veterans down um, and two trans kids and their parents who wanted to share their stories of discrimination. And um, it was really powerful. And then they all met with several legislators and it was, it was really great. So you had a little presser in Calvin mm-hmm. Draghi's office and I actually asked you or maybe it was somebody else. One of us asked you if you were going to try to discharge yeah, the bill. Yeah, he asked me. And, and, and you said, no, I don't have, which means for the folks listening, if you don't know, if the bill's in the committee and the committee doesn't want to get rid of it, you, you can on the floor move to, with the majority, have the body get rid of the bill, mm-hmm. which if you're in the minority, mm-hmm. it's basically never, almost never happened. Even in the majority, it almost never happens because it kind of challenges the power of the chair and the way it's supposed to work is they're supposed to kind of have control over, but it's a backstop in case somebody's crazy. Yeah. Or doesn't want, doesn't want to play ball. Yeah. So you weren't going to do it, but then, and this is pretty fucking brilliant on your part. Yeah. During the spontaneously <laughs> during the floor session, there was an amendment about there was two different debates about discrimination against legislators mm-hmm. and Israel, Israel bill. So Israel, so discriminating against you know people who are anti-Israel and they want to be able to, I guess, not give them contracts or something. That's like some yeah Alec bill. Yep. That was a Sarah Vance bill. Mm-hmm. And then there was another uh, amendment or bill. It was about, I think it was an amendment. It was about. It was a bill. It was Kevin McCabe's bill about discriminating against legislators for uh, insurance policies, like umbrella insurance policies. So there was two things happening. It was discriminating against legislators, discrim- discriminating against Israel. Yeah. And it was the same time as all this stuff was going on with this bill being stuck in judiciary. Yeah. And I was like watching it and I didn't even make the connection. But as soon as you stood up and I said, wait a minute. Oh my God, they, they keep talking about discrimination with these yeah. other topics, legislators in Israel. And then you stood up and gave this pretty impassioned speech and then said, I moved to discharge HB 99. It was from- a little separate. So I gave an impassioned speech that ended up killing the Israel bill. Um, and so- and well, Even Prox spoke pretty, I mean- Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, this is as ridiculous as this bill. <laughs> and I will I will never say who, but the person who flipped their vote, she was she was allowed to go to the floor with only 21 on her chit sheet. And for, for people listening, sometimes the, um, the rules chair says you need 24 people who are going to vote yes or 30 people who are going to vote yes before it goes. It's, she was allowed to go at 21. You're not supposed to, like the majority never is supposed to put bills on the floor that aren't mm-hmm. going to pass yeah. because it's embarrassing. Right. And so someone came up to me and said, your speech made a difference and I couldn't, like in good conscience vote on this bill and so that bill died and then it, it what got 20 I did, votes it got 2020 20, so somebody flipped one person flipped and then so what happened is we had that bill and we had the insurance bill and all these people are giving speeches about how discrimination is terrible and all this kind of stuff and then w- when we were done with the bills there's a part in our calendar called unfinished business that's when I stood up and gave the speech and then I gave another speech and then moved to discharge because I think both of the discrimination bills moved out of judiciary and mm-hmm. my bill is one of the most vetted tons of press like well they're both well, so well, much work had been gone into it and I'm like we've already it, you know I'm not trying to bypass a process I moved through two committees like it was a big deal with several Republicans you know saying yes or, or allowing it to go through and so well the Israel bill was her bill mm-hmm. discrimination against yeah. Israel, and then the other bill was McCabe, so it's a majority member. So, and then you know you're in the minority, and yeah. probably didn't want to hear it. So it didn't get discharged, but it was pretty close. I think it got 18 votes. 
which is pretty good for a spontaneous thing. Like in a, in a perfect world, you would whip those votes and do uh-huh. a lot of back work. But I just, there was an opportunity and I had to take it. And I, I knew it was very unlikely that it would discharge, but I was trying to make a point which is not the first time I did that. During the budget process, you know, someone stood up and said, if there's anything I could do to support victims of domestic violence, I would vote on that every day and twice on Sunday. And multiple people gave speeches like that. So I stood up after that speech and I said, I want to discharge. There was an amendment for $300,000, which for people listening is like a drop in the bucket in the budget to fully fund shelters. And it didn't get passed. And I was so angry. And I was like, everyone is standing here talking about how much they care about sexual assault and domestic violence, but you can't you don't have three hundred thousand dollars for to 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 do our shelters and that's, and, so, and, and that's where it becomes kind of the game yeah because the minority has a chance to that's to, how it works the majority does the budget and then the minority has a chance to give their peace and just kind of hold amendments. people to account man and that was the same thing like all these folks stood up and said that you know discrimination is terrible we should never support discrimination and so here's your opportunity to to really do something meaningful that would impact 13,000 members there, of our workforce there was a pretty, <laughs> I, I recall there was a pretty long at ease right they were like there was people yeah. were like fuck yeah what have we done <laughs> okay so so then can I move forward yeah, there yeah. was the budget you know the, mm-hmm. early on the house passed the budget it was not balanced because they didn't get the the 30 mm-hmm. votes, the three-quarter vote for the CBR. Yeah. And then the Senate kept saying they weren't going to do the Traducan thing. But by about early May, it kind of became pretty clear to me that's what was happening because yeah. they didn't send over the capital budget. And and you you guys are watching this. You don't really have any – you're in the minority, mm-hmm. but you're watching it. And the kind of crazy thing is that the majority, on the surface, they wanted a 50-50 dividend. That's what they put into their budget. Yeah. But not all of them wanted that. Yeah. And then some of them wanted some capital projects and then some of them wanted a spending cap. And then, and there was these negotiations that were happening. And I talked to a lot of people and it became pretty clear to me that the Senate felt leadership felt the house leadership couldn't articulate an actual negotiating position. Yeah. Well, this isn't a secret. I mean, look how diverse the house uh, majority is. I mean, so diverse on a spectrum there, you know, and you look at something like even the Senate majority is a little bit looser. And then you have the house minority where like, our caucuses are so quick. We all are very aligned in so many ways, and especially on the big things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it doesn't surprise very, me that which is very powerful. When the majority yeah. only has twenty three, they don't have twenty seven for two thirds, which is some certain thresholds for votes. And then the three quarter, obviously, they don't they don't have anywhere near that. Yeah, and it made it easy for us because we were a rock. Like we'd never had like, you know, it wasn't hard for us to to dis- to do to do things the way that we did. Like we were all very aligned on the strategy from the beginning of how we wanted this to play out. And, and when they when they organized, it was weird because like McCormick voted against Tilton and I think Stutes voted for Tilton. And then it was kind of unclear what this is on day one or day two, mm-hmm. who was in the majority. And then they said, well, McCormick's in the majority. Stutes is not. Mm-hmm. And Ortiz actually voted for Tilton too. And mm-hmm. he was not. Yeah. And then I think there was a period of time where Stutes actually tried to get in, but they said no. So she was kind of on her own for a few weeks. And then she came with you guys, which was so stupid for them because you want more, I mean, 23 is not, it's kind of like, uh, it's close. Yeah. Before it was 21 the last couple of years, especially 23 when, I mean, as you've seen, like they don't really vote as a block and only 10 people out of those 23 voted for the budget. Well, that's the other thing they have this kind of, it's like the, the new caucus of equals. The Senate mm-hmm. used to have that and they don't have to, there's no agreement on how they vote on the budget. So when the f- final thing did come back after the first day of the special session, it came, they loaded it up. It's kind of weird too. They, they, they loaded it up with all these amendments, capital amendments, $35 million. Yeah. Not that much money, but still all these majority. I know it's not a lot of money at all. I'm very surprised that $35 million was enough. I mean, the difference between the 25, <laughs> 75 and 50, 50 dividend is $880 million. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that just kind of went away. Yep. But but I knew they weren't going to get enough votes to pass it on their own. I thought, I was thinking 16, 17. If you would have told me they were only going to get 10 majority mm-hmm. votes to agree with the Senate, but I would have said there's no fucking way. Yeah. It'll, it'll pass. But then all my, all 16 minority members mm-hmm. voted for it. So it got the number of votes yep. it needed, 21, yep. because there was no uh, savings draw. Yep. But it was just kind of a crate. And that, the thing that most surprised me was usually people on these budget bills at the end, everybody wants to say something. But nobody said anything. Not a single except Eastman spoke. said something about the, <laughs> of course he did, you know, of, of, on the um, waiting a day because it came back from the, the bill was amended. But but people just, I think, would you say wanted to just get out of there? They were just like, this is, we've had enough. I think everyone was so burnt out. And what is there to say? I mean, the what, if you ask the majority what, what, what are they built around? Like, what are they focused on? Really, the main thing is the dividend and that, they didn't get it. Like that was the one consistent thing you heard. There was a lot of, as you said, like clicks and different pockets of people with different priorities, but there was not like a set of values or goals or anything that all 23 people were behind. Well, it's kind of like they, for six years, the coalition was in charge of the house and then they mm. Republicans tried really hard each time to take it back Yeah, and they couldn't get it. And they finally got it. And it's like kind of the dog chasing the car. And it was, became, I think very challenging, especially with a lot of new people, but, but also like you said, not having a really, what, what are we, what are our priorities? Yeah, and so I think that just makes it really hard. I mean, I think that makes it really hard when you're at the negotiating table on the budget and, um, yeah, you I mean, see how it played out. Speaker Tilton, uh, Reb Foster, finance co-chair, and Dan Sadler, the majority leader, all voted against it, which is kind of... Yeah. So so normally there's a rule. They call it a binding caucus, but really it's just mm-hmm. saying, hey, on the last vote, at the end of the day, we have to pass the budget. Everybody has their say throughout the entire process. You can do whatever you want. But at the end of it, you have to, and that's what the Senate has yeah. this time. And, and they, they had, you know, 17 votes, yep. but they don't have that. So it's kind of a fucking free for all. Yeah. I and think next year is going to be really interesting. So do you think there's still going to be this fall special session? I have no idea. I hope so. I do. I want to have it happen, but I also don't want it to be BS. Like I really want us to go and be focused and I want it to be like publicly on the record, like why we are going down there so that we are publicly held to Mm -hmm. account of what is expected to come out of it. Like I know what I've heard is that special sessions in the past, it's like you show up, you gavel in and you come back three weeks later. I think that we all need to be locked in a room until we can move the needle on fiscal stuff. See, the reason I think it might not happen is because the, the things got so contentious at the end. Yeah, and there's so much bad blood that that if you put all 40 people in the room together, there's no telling what could happen. Yeah, I mean, there's some really. I mean, Sumner was at the end, kind of in staff. They were, you know, negotiating with um, the, the Senate leadership, and you, know, you saw the list of amendments. I mean, yeah, some there's an airport that Sumner wanted in Wasilla. There was some stuff in the cemetery, and there was mm-hmm. a lot of the Va- Matsu Valley got 17. Million. It's also interesting. I don't know if you listen to the conservative like Mike Picaro talk radio or mm-hmm. that other guy uh, Dukes. Kronk and McCabe have been like their their guys for a mm. long time, but they voted to concur. And the one thing I'll say about Democrats and progressives is some sometimes they do go after their own. If somebody like Al Franken is mm-hmm. an example, but for the most part they don't do that. Republicans mm. will just on a fucking dime yeah. go after their own if they do one thing they don't like. And now they're calling McCabe um, what's what's the name they're calling him. Um, oh, there's like a name they, I'll think of it oh, in a second. Oh, is he but, getting shit for oh, oh, the budget? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. And cr- it's like crazy. I'm so unplugged. I put up a tweet and I was like, I'm out, y'all. Like, yeah, I'll I saw check that. in later. <laughs> I'm reading the news every day, and uh, but I haven't been following. 
that closely. So wow. that, that's why I think that's maybe it, it might it might not happen. But if it does, you know, they're... Th- it needs to happen. Like, that's not a good enough reason. Like, this is the thing that drives everyone crazy about politics is because it's like, oh, well, our little power dynamics might get unstable. Boo-hoo, the state is falling apart. <laughs> like, we have to do something. Well, and there's and this- we just... It, we're getting closer and closer to a real crisis state and, like, genuinely being in financial ruin. I just feel like there needs to be alarm bells going off all the time. And so this is where the politics part drives me insane. I'm like, we need to be focusing on policy. We need to put everything else aside and just work together. Ugh. Well, there's this kind of fiscal plan you hear about. Everybody talks about fiscal yeah. plan. I don't, nobody really even knows. Most people don't even know what that means. They couldn't tell you what that means. But, um, you know, you're right. There's two two and a half billion dollars in the savings account. When Walker took over... Um, in 14 and 15, by 15, the price of oil was at 30. There was like a $3 billion deficit, but there was, you know, several billion. I mean, there was like 12 or $13 billion left at that point. Uh, if we have a shock like that right now, either a market shock or an oil price shock, uh, it's not a matter of, you know, how much will the dividend be? It's, it's no dividend. Yeah. And then it's maybe revenues. Yeah. If something really, you know, bad happens. Now, if the price of oil stays in the 70s or 80s, we can kind of keep ticking along. But next year is going to be an election year. And people don't want to do things like that in an election year. And this year, nothing happened. Yeah. Nothing structural happened. Yeah. I just don't think we should be accepting the status quo is okay. Like you were just kind of saying like, oh, if we just kind of tick along, but like the status quo is so bad and sending us on decline. I think the governor's spreadsheets became public where it basically shows if we do nothing, like we're just going to keep going deeper in the red. Mm-hmm. Like we can't just keep going you, as we are. Did you watch that press conference? Uh, it was uh, when he talked about the sales tax. He never, he never did the sales tax yeah, bill, but he had the you know, the little chart, I guess, yeah, or the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the spreadsheet. spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like plugging in, like he's like mm-hmm. Neil Steininger, the budget director. He's like, Oh, do this and mm-hmm. give me a little revenue here, a little sales tax. And he's like, let's go to 25, 75. And the whole fucking thing went green. Yeah. It's like all green. And then yeah. he goes, go back, go back, go back. <laughs> it was fun. Cause we, um, we got to do that exercise. It was all of the house, all 40 house members were invited to do that same spreadsheet exercise. And so I threw up my hands. I'm like, I want to see like a low income tax, 75, 25, $1,000 BSA, blah, blah, blah. Like just went through it. And I was like, that is the most beautiful spreadsheet I've ever seen. And I took a picture and I was like, that's it. That's the fiscal plan. Like we can have so many nice things with this budget. Everyone could have unlimited capital budget. Like it would just be amazing. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing that's frustrating is like, we, know what to do like we have several plans in front of us and a lot of different ways like there's a um a number of different things in that spreadsheet you can play with a sales tax you can play with oil tax credits you can play with income tax you can you can do a lot of different things in there and see how we can go from financial ruin to prospering and so it's right there waiting well, for and us. The, the maybe the the most ironic or the funniest thing to me is when when walker took over and then in 16 he cut the dividend down uh and that was kind of his his demise yeah. but if you look at what he was pitching then it's the same stuff now. Yeah. Lower dividend. Yeah. Maybe some revenues. Yeah. Um, we got to figure out how to, how to you know, l- look at all these different taxes or oil taxes or income tax or sales taxes or whatever in the budget. And and he was, he was you know, excoriated by Republicans. Yeah. And now it's pretty much they're taking p- plays out of the Bill Walker playbook. Yep. Yep. He was ahead of his time on all that. He was, he was way, he was a little too far. Yeah. Yeah. Ahead of his time. So what's your... So now it's off interim. What do you yeah. got? You have you're working. You got summertime. Summer. It's kind of 
Summer. Not, not sunny right now. Yeah, I have um, I have a giant calendar on my counter and a bunch of color-coded pens planning all my hiking, camping, fishing, all my fun Alaska stuff. Um, I'm working on some fun legislation in the interim and some fun projects. So paid family leave is one of my big projects. I'm You'll get the first exclusive on this, Jeff. Oh, I'm boy. Creating a, I'm launching a campaign and a website called Change the Rank. And I'm going to be introducing like a suite of legislation or endorsing legislation that's meant to look at all the... I mean, we rank last in everything or we rank first in all change the things the you want to be... Change the rank or the rank? Change the rank. R-A-N-K. Oh, I think it's rank, like an ice skating rink. No, that'd be rank. cute though. Yeah, change the rank. Okay. So like, and I may change the name, but like change the rank AK. And the goal is like, here are all of these bills and like ways we can move the needle so we're not last place. So like the freshman caucus introduced um, a bill for a FAFSA thing because we are 51st for FAFSA completion. And so we came up with a solution. For the student, student loans. Yeah, and for- we did. Um, It's just a raffle where kids will get entered into a raffle to win like a significant amount of money. I think we ended up doing like five, $10,000 awards because we're like, we have to do something to incentivize that. And so I think there's like a lot of small one-off things you can do. And then there's really big strategic things mm-hmm. like paid family leave is a giant bill, but I'm just going to be like creating a website that shows really clearly like Alaska is last, last, last in all these areas. And then here's how you actually fix it. And then here's the policy solution. And then we're dropping those bills or endorsing other people who have them. Um, so I'm working on that paid family leave, non-discrimination. Um, I've been working all session on, um, psychedelic legislation. So preparing for when, um, psilocybin, psilocybin? yeah, when psilocybin and MDMA become legalized by the FDA as a prescription, I want to make sure that we have a series of trigger laws in place. So we're going to establish a task force, hopefully, um, and set up trigger laws around insurance and licensing so that we can kind of be a leader at the forefront of that. There was a 60 minutes, um, it was years ago, but it was on this kind of micro dosing and some of these people who are, you know, bad, bad alcoholics or drug addicts or some, some problem. And they would go in this room and they would, you know, put the like, uh, eye covers on and they would lay, you know, and they would, this doctor would, and it was pretty wild. I mean, Anderson, I think it was Anderson Cooper. And a lot of these people got better. It's completely life-changing. It's, I mean, as of right now, it's basically the only thing we know that can treat like treatment-resistant depression, uh, PTSD, and it's just really important to me. I had really, really severe PTSD, struggled with depression, anxiety, all this my whole life, and so these are just issues that I care a lot about, and um, again, going back to the rank, we rank like worst for suicides and mental health and all these issues. We have the highest number of veterans per capita, and so when this becomes legal, it's going to be a game-changer, and I want to make sure that Alaska is ready to implement this and make it equitable so that everyone can have access to it. I've also heard of people microdosing ketamine. Yeah, and that's legal. People are doing that. Yeah, I've heard of that There's one. like ketamine clinics in Anchorage. It's pretty that cool. Sounds, so I don't recreationally use drugs. I mean, I used to a long time ago, but I was at the Haynes Brewfest this weekend. I don't know if you read my oh, Sunday so column. Fun. First time going there, it was nice. it was like pretty unhinged. Yeah. And there was a big park and there was like hundreds of tents and then it was a little cold and rainy. But I mean, I've never been in... in Offered so many free drugs. Wow. I mean, acid, mushrooms, cocaine. It was wow. It was a whole thing wow. down there at the Haynes Brewfest. <laughs> I had no idea. Who oh, yeah. knew? Who knew? Um, and a lot of people go down from Juneau. It's, it's every year. It's during Memorial Day. And yeah. It was, I wish it was warmer because last year it was like 80. Mm. And they had a slip and slide. Oh, that's so fun. But this year it was a little, a little it's chilly. It's a cold end of May right now. Oh, yeah. I, I really hope chilly. we have a nice, nice warm summer. Yeah, me too. Going back to the family leave, I lived in Australia for a year, and one of the takeaways for me was in Australia, if you have a kid, there, there's a, a government law, and essentially you get, I think it's a year off your job, yeah. and they give you not a great deal of money, but you get some money, yeah. and you're, they have to hold your job. 
I mean, that's in most of the Western world, and it's not su- just it's, Australia. It's such an incentive to... Yeah. When you're there, you've talked to my friends of mine that are very conservative people. Australia has a lot of very conservative people, but they just think it's... When you tell them how it is here, if you don't have a job or really work for a big company or if you're not in some... You know, most people yeah. don't have that opportunity. They just... They're like, it's fucking crazy. They, they just don't... Like, why does anybody have kids? Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, Scandinavia is the same way. It's like a year or two of paid leave. Plus, you get so much stuff. Like, they just set you up, take care of you, come to your home, check in on you. It's like such care. You are just left out on your own. You leave that hospital, and you're on your own here. You know what's crazy? I I was thinking, I was talking to a friend a couple of days ago. It's, like, really hard to adopt. Adopting is very, very difficult. And, you know, I guess it should be yeah. not, not, not easy. But, you know, you can just go out and meet somebody, and bam, <laughs> here, good luck. Yep. <laughs> Have a good time. Yeah, it's crazy. It's pretty much how it's pretty much how we are. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. We um need more access to birth control, more access to sex education, more care once um, you know, prenatal care, once the babies are here taking care of them. There's so much that we can be doing. But going back to why I ran, like my biggest thing was holding people to account on who say they're pro life, because a lot of people are actually just pro birth. That's what that's what George Carlin would always say. Oh they're, yeah, they're I pro-life. love they're, that. They're pro. They're pro birth. I love that. I have read and reposted that quote so many times. It's his actual line is, "If you're preborn, you're golden. If you're pre-K, you're, you're fucked. fucked." Yeah, and then yeah. He's, like, he's like, he's like, "You're you're great until you're 18, and then we can send you to war." There's a whole bit. Yeah, he did. yeah, it's really powerful, and so, and I mean. Yeah, so that's just a really important thing. Like, I feel like I'm one of the most pro-family people because I've got a big family and taking kids in and want so badly for families to be able to be here and thrive and people to grow families. You took in some Afghan refugees, right? Yeah, yeah. We took in a family of eight after the withdrawal, and they lived with us for three or four months, and then the two oldest girls um, have lived with us ever since. So they live with us, like, Sunday Sunday evening through Friday afternoon. Do they speak in English or not? When they showed up here, they spoke no English and they had never been to school. So like that's how, a really how old were big, they? Um, entering seventh grade and ninth grade at Romagan West. And then there's four younger kids too. But for the two old, we knew the youngest would be okay. Like the youngest doesn't even speak Pashto anymore. They spoke Urdu, Urdu or Pashto? Pashto, yeah. Wow. That, how, um, they, how are they now? Pretty amazing. Honor roll, thriving, speaking English, summer job, summer school, like just killing it. Um, it's really, really That's amazing awesome. to I mean, see. It's, it's really but good to. They didn't know what shapes were. They didn't know what the moon was. They had never seen a map. They'd never been on planes. Like it was just like a total new world. And so my husband and I sat down with workbooks, kindergarten workbooks for my stepdaughter and just started with kindergarten and worked our way up to rapidly get them so that they had a baseline so that they could thrive. And at that time, seventh and ninth grade. But yeah, we love them very much. Very, very lucky to have them. That's so good you're doing that. I mean, you're changing, you know, these kids' lives. If you can, you must. You're doing a lot more there than you're probably going to do in Juno sometimes. It's, <laughs> that's like you can we could, you can watch that and measure that. It's important to have a life outside of the legislature. It's so important to have, I think, work and things you're focused on because otherwise if that's your whole life, you're going to feel, it's going to feel really tough. So you got the busy summer. We talked about this stuff and then, yeah. you know, it's back to, back to Juno. It's going to, it's going to be here before you know it. It's, I know. It's like summer is always so, yeah. it feels like it's three or four months, but, but you know, you wake up and it's already like fall. I know. I know. Yeah. I have no idea what to expect next year. I think it's going to be different next year. Well, and, and, you know, I've been down there since 19 and you see this like in 2017, there was like 200 days of session, special session. It was crazy. 2019, that was that year where they went to Wasilla and there was all this other like special set. It was crazy. Um, 2023 or sorry, 2021. It was the 
effective day. They didn't, the budget wasn't really worked out till like June 28th. Yeah. So those are the odd years. And the even years, 2020 was COVID, obviously, and people yeah. went home. 2022 was, ele- I mean, in the election years, they tend to finish earlier because why they want to go campaign. Yeah. So I think next year will happen, will be shorter, but there's so much uncertainty in that majority in the House. Yeah. And it'll be really, and, and all these bills, your bill and everybody's bills, they, they're still in play. They're all in play. Next session. Yeah. So that's still going to be, yeah, the second session when, it, when it's over, the bills all go away. Yep. So I think there's going to be a lot of focus on some of these. Has it always been this unpredictable, you think, where like you don't know day to day what could or couldn't happen? Or do you think it's just a really unique dynamic? I think it's we have right more now? recently in the last, you know, since Dunleavy won, the kind of the Senate had these problems. The, the House had the coalition and they had some problems too, but they, they were 21 for a while. Yeah. But in the past, like going back, back when Craig Johnson and Dan Sadler were in there like years ago, they had these pretty strict rules. You have to vote for the budget and, mm-hmm. you know, like you kind of knew how things were going to play out. Yeah. And then really when the coalition started in 17, uh, in the house, things started to get a little more unpredictable. And then yeah. when Dunleavy won, it got, re- you know, the first year was like, it was nuts down there. I mean, it was like the Tuckerman Babcock thing, all these weird people. There was this Wasilla special session where they had like, the protest, you know, they had like yeah. a little mini insurrection yeah. deal. And I mean, like it was just insane. You know, the cutting the budget a billion and a half, I mean, taking away the North Slopes. I mean, just, all these things happened. Yeah. And it just really set off. And that recall deal happened and then COVID happened. And I mean, it's like you could write, I mean, I've thought about writing a book. Things have been wild just in general, like in the world, I feel, since mm-hmm. 2016. It, Everything is different. Like the playbook's been thrown out. Everything feels unpredictable. You never, I, I always just say, I'm like, anything is possible. And that's not me like evading answering a question. I genuinely think anything could happen next year in the legislature. Like nothing would surprise me. <laughs> oh yeah. No, there, there's, I agree. There's just yeah. so many ways it could, it could go. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the most likely outcome, it'll, it'll just finish maybe a little crazy, but I mean, the last time there was any kind of coup or like reorganization was like in the early eighties. Yeah. And I think everybody's aware, even the people who might want to do it or do something crazy like that. They're aware of the message that sends to the public yeah, and, and, and the instability and, and kind of just, that's a crazy thing. Yeah. I think people know how crazy that is and what that would, what that would kind of signal to the public. I think the other thing that's interesting is that there were several house races that were really close. And well, like McKay I, only won by what, seven vote, Tom McKay? I mean, a, several people have said that the entire session would have looked different if seven more people had voted in district 15. Like we would have, the house minority would have likely formed a majority if we had had just one more person. 15 was McKay. Yeah. McKay's district. So it was like everything that's happening is because seven people didn't turn out to vote in that district. And it shows you how important that seven people in one district, not voting, Mm -hmm. um, how that can affect the entire state. Like, because of that, there's no BSA. Like, we know, we were all around BSA, defined benefit, all these different things. Like, non-discrimination would have passed. Like, that would all be done. Um, And so I think it's fascinating. And I think what's interesting, because there were so many close house races, a lot of those folks, I'm assuming, are going to be, their votes next year are going to be a little bit more in the news and their opponents are going to be using that. And so I wonder if people will become more moderate or how that's going to play out. Well, McKay voted for the concurrence, which kind of surprised me a little bit. But in his district... That, that's actually a, a good vote. Yeah. If you were to yeah. vote against it, you know, you have a lot of kind of upper income people and resource development or whatever. And they just, they just, don't, they don't want to see, right. they have kids in school. They don't, they don't want to see the, the stuff go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it's been great. Rip Armstrong, been great talking yeah, to you. This is really, I could talk to you me. for hours. I feel yeah, like. Yeah, let's do it again. It was fun. You should do your own, you should do your own <laughs> podcast. Should I? I think, I what think. What would I talk about? 
It's whatever you want. I think uh, Lukey did one has one right. Yeah, and Andrew does too. Andrew still has his old mm-hmm. one that he kind of. Did you go? Did you go on his? his? Yep. Yeah, I need to. I was going to listen to it. I haven't listened to it yet, but I, I, I meant to listen to it. So yeah, he's uh, he's he's kind of a character, isn't he? That Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, very love, lucky to work lo- with him. Love that guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been great talking to you. We'll see you around. And, yeah, thank and, um, you so much. District uh, 16. 16, West yeah. Anchorage. Yep. And if folks want to get a hold of you, there's just go to the website. and the, I'm everywhere. Yeah, it's very easy to find me. You're very, you're very active on Twitter. Some people have, some legislators have no social media. I know, it's crazy. Like zero. Yeah. And then some have a lot. Yeah. So no, everybody has my cell phone. It's printed on every everything. It's very easy to find me. Okay, Representative Armstrong, thanks for coming on. Really, really Thank appreciate so talking much. to you, and we'll we'll see you around. Yeah, talk to you soon. Okay, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Let's